as consumers of dairy products, we need to be um, working towards making sure that not only the lives of dairy cows producing that milk is of a high standard and considers their welfare, but also all the other animals involved in dairy production and particularly the calves. Hello and welcome to RSPCA Australia's Humane Food podcast series. My name's Brian Daly and today I'm talking with Melina Tenson, the Farm Animal Scientific Officer at RSPCA. And we're talking about dairy veal and bobby calf welfare. So welcome to the podcast, Melina. Thanks, Brian. Now, Australians eat a lot of dairy. On average, over 100 litres of milk, 13 kilos of cheese, nearly 5 kilos of butter and 9 kilos of yoghurt each every year. So it's a big industry. And there's an area of animal welfare the RSPCA is looking to improve in the industry, and that's around the issue of bobby calves. Now, if we could start with some basics, Melina, what's a bobby calf? Well, many people um, will probably know or be familiar with dairy cows grazing out at pasture, but mm. it's quite um, noticeable that those cows are not accompanied by calves or, or other animals. They're literally just dairy cows on their own on pasture. Mm-hmm. So you might wonder what happens to all the calves or indeed where does all the milk come from? But in order for a dairy cow to produce milk, they actually have to have had a calf. It's similar to a human being. Um, if a, When a woman gives birth, um, obviously they produce milk and they're lactating and the baby's able to drink that milk. It's exactly the same with cows. So um, in the dairy industry, like with any other animal there's a, or even human beings, there's a 50-50 chance of having a male calf or a female calf. Mm-hmm. And the female calves are often used to go back into the dairy herd uh, and become future dairy cows. Yep. Whereas the male calf, obviously, because a male doesn't produce milk, are considered uh, a waste product or a byproduct of the dairy industry. Yep. And these male calves are called bobby calves. And their destiny is effectively, because they are a waste product, their destiny is often to be sent to slaughter at around five days old. Right, right. So that's a. That's a very short lifespan for these animals. It's an incredibly short lifespan because a bobby calf doesn't produce milk. There's no reason for it to be in that dairy and therefore it's a a cost to the dairy farmer basically to keep that animal alive. So because it has such low value, it's taken away from the mother within 12 to 24 hours of birth and then put in a, in a shed with um, other male calves, and then within five days a truck comes to pick them up and takes them to slaughter. Right. So, so there's no way they can just stay with their mothers, or is there an issue with keeping them um, with their mothers for a short time? I think it's been common practice for, for many, many years in the dairy industry to remove the calf from the mother in order to, number one, um, better manage uh, the cow. So a cow and a calf... You can imagine um, walking to a milking shed, the calf is going to get in the way of the, the cow. Uh, it's going to make it more difficult to milk that cow. So managing the two separately is, from a labour perspective, beneficial. But the main reason in Australia that calves are separated from their mothers is to prevent disease in the calf. Yoni's disease is a, a disease that calves can get from their mothers and it's a, a bacterial disease uh, and certainly... If you're raising uh, heifer calves or female calves, then you don't want them to be diseased. Mm. So the reason for separating calves from their mother at such an early age is really to um, ensure that the calf receives enough colostrum Mm. uh, to prevent the calf from catching any diseases from their mother, but also to uh, manage the mother more efficiently. Yeah, right. Okay, so... and and 
given the size of the industry, I guess the numbers aren't small either. That's right. Um, so literally there's probably about 1.6 million dairy cows in Australia at the moment. And if each of those dairy cows is uh, producing a, a calf, that's that's a lot of calves being born into the industry. And say half of those are, are male calves, um, that's that's a, a fair number of calves. So what to do with all these calves is the key question. And in the past, sending these animals to slaughter has been the go-to method. Another way of um, dealing with all these male calves, because they are considered a waste product, is simply to kill them on farm on the day of birth, right. which is um, pretty wasteful when you think about it. And also from the farmer's perspective, um, you know, there'd be a reluctance there to to kill that animal as well, um, which is another reason why more often than not they're sent to slaughter rather than being killed on farm. Because a, a farmer's natural instinct would be to, to look care, after an animal. To care for those animals, <laughs> yeah. exactly, exactly. Yeah. But what we've been seeing too in recent years is the use of sexed semen. So when they um, impregnate the cow, they usually use um, semen uh, so artificial insemination okay. rather than uh, a natural mating. And they can choose to use uh, semen where the likelihood is that the calves will be born females rather than males. So wow. that's what sex semen is. It's predominantly a female progeny will result from that insemination. Wow. And so because we've got more female calves coming into the system, those calves can be used to replace older dairy cows that yes. um, you know, uh, are no longer milking sufficiently. And also with more heifer calves or female calves, you have a reduced number of male calves that then mm. have to be sent to slaughter or, or dealt with in some other way. And I guess even you know, if they do get transported, it must still be an issue for animals that young, I'd imagine... Yeah, so there's a lot of issues with bobby calves. So we're dealing with an animal that's five days old when it's transported to slaughter. Mm. And at that young age, these calves don't really have that following instinct that a much older cow would have. If you've seen dairy cows walking from the paddock to the dairy, you know that they all like to walk in a group and they yes. know exactly where they're going and what's expected of them. Yes. Whereas with bobby calves, that's not the case at all. So what you see is that when these animals have to be transported, they might be roughly handled because they're not moving quickly enough or they simply lie down because they don't want to walk or they, you know, they don't know what's expected of them and then they'll be lifted and, and potentially thrown into the transport vehicle and they're dealing with unfamiliar environments, unfamiliar people handling them, often unfamiliar calves because the truck might pick up a number of calves from a number of farms. And then, of course, all this time while they're on the truck on that journey to the abattoir, they have no feed and no water. And then mm. when they arrive at the abattoir, it could be late in the afternoon. So often these cars um, will be held in pens at the abattoir overnight and then slaughtered in the, the following morning, first thing usually. So, you know, that's a, a fairly lengthy process for such a young animal and very stressful process and all this time without its mother and without feed and without water. So it's not, it's definitely not ideal from a, a you know, a, a welfare perspective to transport animals at such a young age when they don't have that following behaviour and don't know what's expected of them. Yeah. So it's no wonder you're looking for ways to eliminate that um, need for that to happen. Exactly. Anything we can do to um, improve the fate of bobby calves that are slaughtered at such a young age um, surely is a better thing. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's a it's an image that we don't get when we see the a dairy farm at the moment. We see 
you know, beautiful pastures and, and quite what we consider would be contented cows in mm, a way. Yeah, and I think that's an important thing to remember that, um, you know, as, as consumers of dairy products, we need to be um, working towards making sure that not only the lives of dairy cows producing that milk is of a high standard and considers their welfare, but also all the other animals involved in dairy production and particularly the calves and how calves, um, for example, the female calves are reared, but also how bulls are handled when there is natural mating rather than artificial insemination. So it's a it's a whole of production system that we need to think about when we're mm. producing and consuming dairy products. Yeah, yeah. So I guess the alternative there is to raise these calves for meat production? Is is that an alternative that uh, you're looking at? Well, when you look at the female calves, it's common practice to raise them to an older age so mm-hmm. that they can join the dairy herd. Yep. So you might wonder, well, with the male calves, why can't it be common practice to raise them to an older age and do something with them? In other words, give them more value. Because a, a five-day-old calf that goes to the abattoir is a byproduct. Uh, it's excess to dairy industry requirements and it has no value. So if we manage, we think about what we can do with that animal to give it more value and thereby by giving it more value, increasing the prospects of improving their welfare because we're motivating the farmer to care for them in a better way, then, you know, that's that's an avenue. And we're obviously talking about veal here. So yes. if you raise a, a a male calf to an older age, say eight months or older, then that veal product, which is a high-value uh, beef product, is going to be, you know, giving giving that animal a life worth living, essentially, rather than being sent off to the abattoir when it's so young. But it's not done a great deal in Australia at the moment. There, there is a veal industry here, but is there room for it to grow then mm. in that way? There's a very small veal market in Australia and that's probably why um, raising of male calves isn't as popular as it would be overseas. Mm-hmm. In in Europe and particularly some Mediterranean countries, veal is a very popular meat. Yes. And I should say also that the way of raising veal in crates, um, the way um, is done in some countries in Europe, although it's, it's increasingly uncommon in Europe, okay. does not occur and has never occurred in Australia. And so that's where they're kept... And can't move. Exactly. So usually kept in darkish sheds in a crate where they literally have very little room to move and their diet is is purely milk. So one of the health issues they have is a lack of iron and all the consequences of of that. So that doesn't happen here in Australia. So when you um, buy a veal product in the supermarket in Australia, more often than not, it's from a a younger beef animal rather than a dairy animal. Yeah. So... We wouldn't want to see that happen anyway in no. Australia, obviously. So the but the veal's a very different thing. Yeah. Here. So there's opportunities for veal, for example, in export markets or in high end restaurants uh, and the hotel trade, uh, catering, and and that sort of market. Mm-hmm. And certainly from the RSPCA perspective, we would rather see an animal that would otherwise be sent to slaughter, given greater value, and being sold as a, a veal or beef product, and not be wasted. Mm. And so that's why you've just released some standards for producing dairy veal to try and address these issues around bobby calves, is that right? Yeah, so obviously the the RSPCA is interested in giving value to an animal that would otherwise be considered worthless and a waste product. So we've developed approved farming scheme standards for dairy veal calves and they're very much written from the 
welfare of the calf perspective. So what does the calf need when it's being reared for a meat product? And one of the important things from day one is that it receives uh, sufficient colostrum. So that's the the first milk that's uh, released from the mother because that colostrum contains all the antibodies that 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 calf is going to need to lead a healthy life over the next uh, little while. Mm -hmm. After colostrum feeding, another important thing is to keep calves in uh, groups rather than on their own. Uh, A common practice is to initially raise a young calf alone either in a, in a hutch or in pens within a shed. And the main reason that's done is to prevent disease and to monitor feeding and, and drinking of that animal. Mm. But there's sufficient research, certainly from an animal welfare perspective, that you know, if given the choice, that calf will prefer to be with mates rather than on its own. I'd and imagine it, so. It seems pretty obvious, doesn't <laughs> it? Um, and if managed appropriately, there doesn't need to be a health concern related to that. Mm. Uh, So it's perfectly uh, possible to raise calves in groups from day one and continue to have them in groups and eventually on pasture if that's part of the production system to raise a healthy, happy calf. And is that how it's done with the female calves at the moment? Uh, Female calves indeed may initially be on their own and then raised in groups and eventually go on to pasture. Yeah, so that's uh, a pretty common system for female calves as well. Yeah, so the and and obviously being raised in groups in, in a pen in a shed initially before they're while they're still drinking milk and starting to eat solids, it's also important to keep those animals entertained in a way. Um, so we're talking about um, enrichment, making sure that they have you know maybe even something like a ball or a brush to to you know rub themselves against mm. and and those sort of things. Also in terms of actually feeding the calf. A lot of calf rearers, as they're called, might use bucket feeding. So they put the milk that the calf receives in a bucket and then expect the, the, the calf to drink from that. But we all know that the natural sort of suckling behaviour that calves have, yes. you know, is to suckle from a teat, that's not going to be satisfied if you give it a bucket. So one of the requirements of our standards is to make sure that they're fed via teat rather than via bucket, which is incredibly important. Yeah, so they're all, as you say, it's all coming from an animal welfare perspective. That's right, yeah. Basically looking at, you know, what the calf would do in a natural environment when it's with its mother um, and what its preferences are and bringing all those things together to make sure that they have those opportunities under the approved farming scheme. It sounds like a whole lot better life for these uh, bobby Mm. calves (laughs) under that sort of uh, regime. It's definitely a whole lot better than um, being um, thrown on a truck and sent to an abattoir when you're five days old. Yes, that's true. So how long are calves raised for uh, veal production? So if a bobby calf were to be raised for veal, we're talking about probably a six to eight month old animal weighing around 150 kilos or a bit more. Okay. So basically what that means is that uh, a five-day-old animal is being raised and cared for um, until they're about eight months old, at which stage they're ready for slaughter. Uh, and that's the you know a high-value veal product or rose veal sometimes it's called as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what consumers would see in the supermarket if they're interested in purchasing that. But it does mean that for those months we've given that animal a good quality of life, a life worth living rather than a wasted life. And is it only dairy cattle that is used for veal in Australia or is other cattle used for veal in Australia currently? 
No, usually um, when when you go to the supermarket and buy a veal product, uh, more often than not, that would be from a, a younger uh, beef uh, breed or right. beef animal rather than a dairy animal. Now, there's been a lot of press around dairy farmers, I guess, doing it tough uh, in the last couple of years. There's been, you know, milk price wars and all this sort of stuff. Is 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 there uh, an incentive, I guess, on one hand for them to raise other products to help them um, uh, grow economically, but also they need to invest in that as well? So is it mm. a little difficult for them to find the funds to, to raise these bobby calves? That's a tricky thing, as always, isn't it, whether, you know, the environment and particularly the environment that the dairy industry finds itself in now is conducive to further investment in that industry. And we're seeing a lot of dairy farmers leave the industry. Mm. Um, so you could ask yourself, well, why would they invest when, you know, their future is so uncertain? Um, but what we do know is that there are plenty of consumers, indeed more and more consumers out there looking for that um, product that's you know satisfies their personal values and you know if you think animal welfare is important then you're going to be looking for a, a dairy product that has those animal welfare credentials attached to it uh, similar to the way you might find um, you know management of the land or the environment of that of, of farming generally an important factor and you look for a product that that satisfies those values that you have so there is always going to be a, a market now and an increasing market in the future for that value-added product mm. so um, in that respect um, certainly from a, a farmer's perspective if you're in, in into dairying and you're not doing anything with your bobby calves at the moment then considering raising those calves for veal or sending them off to a calf, a specialist calf rearer, so that they can be raised for veal or beef, uh, which is an older animal, then you know, that's something you should definitely consider seriously because there will be consumers out there looking for that product. Mm. Yeah, so consumers can play a part in this. They can look for these products and, and also perhaps pay a little extra for milk if we, <laughs> if we want to go down that road. Well, I think, um, you know, our message has always been that, um, you know, we have to be prepared to pay more for higher welfare, whether that's a dairy product or pork or an egg or whatever it might be. That's, uh, the, you know, the reality of farming is that um, to do things better, sometimes you do have to um, invest and therefore it costs more. And as a farmer, you don't want to go broke and we want, don't want to see farmers go broke either. We want to see farmers paid a reasonable price for the, the product that they produce and therefore we want to see Consumers pay a reasonable price for the product that they purchase. It's only fair. The breeds of the cattle for dairy and beef are quite different. Is that an impediment uh, to producing dairy calves for veal? Dairy breeds and beef breeds are indeed very different. Obviously, beef breeds have been selectively bred over time to produce muscle, which is the meat that we eat, whereas um, dairy cows have been selectively bred over time to produce large volumes of milk. Hence why we see sort of scrawny cows with large udders because it's all about milk production. And some of these cows can produce around 7,000 litres of milk a year, which is an astronomical amount. Wow. And so these are very high-producing animals. But when it comes to raising bobby calves for meat, what dairy farmers do when they're artificially inseminating they, their cows... They decide how many um, replacement females they need and therefore when they're artificially inseminating, they will use a dairy breed to 
inseminate those cows and the females of that progeny will go back into the into the dairy herd mm-hmm. whereas all the other cows might be inseminated with a beef breed so the progeny resulting from that insemination is a dairy beef cross so okay. it's an animal that because of the the beef influence is a lot more muscly yes. and is going to grow much better than a pure dairy breed so these are the calves that you'd be looking to put into a calf rearing system where the ultimate aim is to have a veal product on the shelf. I think the the technology behind um, farming these days is would baffle most people that aren't involved in it, but it's it's uh, it sounds like there there are ways and means to uh, come up with a solution that will be workable. Mm. Um, it seems like it's not an easy fix for an industry that's been going along this route for so long to change and to invest in uh, higher welfare for these calves. But mm. I think knowing that you've got a strategy there and standards in place, that that must be um, something there to help the situation. We're, we're certainly hoping to motivate and incentivise farmers to, to take on board this idea of rearing their bobby calves, doing something with what would normally be considered a waste product because what we're talking about here is, you know, sending a five-day-old calf to an abattoir is really a waste of an animal's life, isn't it? Um, mm. If you can grow that animal out to a much older age and you have a, a customer base that appreciates the, the work and the value of a veal product and is willing to pay for that, then surely as a dairy farmer and um, people involved in the dairy industry, that's what you should be aiming for. And, you know, we as consumers too should be looking at ways of supporting these farmers who are trying to do better and trying to improve the welfare of their animals. Mm. There would be those that say, well, just don't eat dairy, Let's, you know, that, that we shouldn't be doing this at all and that will improve animal welfare and, you know, should the RSPCA be working in this sort of area of, mm. of farming with, mm. you know, talking about animals as byproducts, for instance, mm. would be hard for many people to hear. But mm. I guess you're dealing with the reality that's there. Yeah, that. absolutely. You know, that's a that's a, it's a totally normal response. You know, why don't we just stop eating something? So, um, you know, vegetarians and vegans have made that choice, and it's a choice that we respect. But on the other hand, there are many, many people who don't choose to be vegetarians, don't choose to be vegans, and they do choose to eat meat, whether that be every day or just a few times a week. So um, as the RSPCA, we feel that it's important to be involved in animal production, in the way animals are raised for food. One way we do that is through the approved farming scheme, but we do that in many, many other ways behind the scenes, talking with uh, industry representative groups and talking with farmers themselves about the needs of their animals um, and how to improve animal welfare on a, on a continuous basis. And we certainly don't expect change overnight because, like we were talking about earlier, infrastructure changes, for example, cost money and you may not have that money right now. But at least if you're on that pathway to co- towards continuous improvement and your aim is to provide um, a good quality of life for the animals in your care, then that's what we're asking for. That's really all we're asking for. And while anim- while ever animals are farmed for food, we need to be able to say that we're treating them with respect and and with dignity. Because the alternative, if the RSPCA weren't involved, it's just let them have as bad a life as possible, basically. It's- well, that's the thing, isn't it? If the RSPCA weren't involved, who would be? Because certainly in Australia, 
um, there's no um, great government involvement in what the animal industries do. Um, we know self-regulation doesn't really work, uh, um, and we've seen appalling cases of that in the live export trade. So the fact that the RSPCA is involved and having ongoing discussions and seeing change on the ground, even if it's not through the approved farming scheme, but even if it's just an industry committing to doing something that, you know, that first of all, they acknowledge that there's an animal welfare issue, they have a plan to address it, and in, you know, within a certain amount of time, they've addressed it and they can move on and deal with other issues. That's, that's what we're asking for, that pathway of continuous improvement. Which sounds, with these standards, like you're on the way to getting that. So, I mean, that's got to be the first step is, is to say, this is a solution to this issue that's quite complex, uh, but we believe there is a way and you're already doing it with the female calves. So let's try this and see if we can improve the lives of, well, it must be thousands, tens of thousands of animals, I'd imagine. Um, yeah, potentially hundreds of thousands of animals. Yeah, yeah, which would be a great outcome. Exactly. And consumers can support it too by buying higher welfare product. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Melina. And thank you for listening. If you would like any more information about today's topic, uh, visit the RSPCA Australia website at rspca.org.au. You can also subscribe to the podcast series at the website or all the usual podcast suspects. I'm Brian Daly and I look forward to your company next time on the RSPCA Australia Humane Food Podcast. Podcast.